Thanks to Quip for supporting Industry Focus. Join over 3 million happy customers and check everyone off of your gift list right now with Quip. Just go to getquip.com slash full to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, December the 18th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you? I am doing well. Can't complain. Um, I know we have a jammed packed show today. So many updates coming out of last week's really one of the biggest medical conferences that I think everybody watches. Uh, if you don't know, that is none other than ASH. And we'll, we'll talk in a minute about what exactly ASH is and what that means if you're not familiar. But just know it's one of the most anticipated medical conferences of the year I'm talking about investors, patients, physicians. And so today, we're going to cut through all of the noise, all of the hype. Trust me, this is a presentation, a conference where it's literally thousands of presentations. And so we're going to give you the most notable highlights and the companies behind those highlights as well. So we're going to breeze through a lot of updates quickly. So hang on to your hats and we'll tell you what you should be watching heading into 2020 Todd, before we dive into updates, though, what exactly is ASH? I'd say it's one of the three most influential conferences that is held for biotech investors every year. The first being JP Morgan, which happens in January. So that's coming up. People pay attention. And then we have ASCO in June. And then, of course, the American Society of Hematology's annual conference, which happens every year in early December. And actually, this was the 62nd annual conference, and people may be asking, well, what the heck is hematology? Uh, It's billed, obviously, as the world's most comprehensive hematology event of the year, and hematology is basically just the science of or the study of blood, blood blood-forming organs, and blood diseases, so things like hemophilia and blood cancers like multiple myeloma. Yes, and there's been so much focus in the blood cancer space, particularly multiple myeloma, um, and the next generation of CAR-T treatments, and that of course, stands for chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies, which is basically a fancy way of saying we're going to take your immune system, supercharge it to fight cancer. Coming into this year's ASH, um, there have been a lot of questions about what's the next generation of CAR-T treatments going to look like? And we really kind of have a picture of what that could look like and just how competitive this space is. Todd, I, I think we should start off this segment by talking about probably... The, the one data release that I think has blown uh, the lid off of most other data releases, and that is none other than Johnson & Johnson, ticker symbol J&J, with their Chinese partner, Nanjing Legend. Uh, Todd, what can you tell us about the data coming out of ASH this year for J&J? It was pretty much a home run, Shannon. Um, investors should probably know that multiple myeloma is one of the biggest indications in hematology. I think that in 2023, the estimates are that's a $22 billion market. We've made tremendous progress over the last decade in developing drugs to treat multiple myeloma, but more work needs to be done. And that's simply because most patients who develop multiple myeloma will indeed relapse and have to require another line of therapy. The good news is that all of these developments are allowing these patients to live longer. But the bad news is Once you've exhausted five, six, seven different 
treatments, your options, your treatment options become increasingly more limited. So one of the things you're seeing is these companies focusing on, including Johnson & Johnson, developing drugs for these lighter, later lines uh, of therapy um, because it also provides a faster pathway through the FDA, the FDA recognizing there is an important need there. In Johnson & Johnson's trial, they enrolled 29 patients, and 100% of those 29 patients had a response to their J&J4528. That is remarkable. And what was really interesting about that trial, those trial results is that 69% were complete responses. 69%. And I think what's really remarkable, I mean, of course, the, the data in and of itself is remarkable. But when you actually look back at, I think it was last year's ASH, there was this kind of mystery Chinese company, Nanjing Legend, that presented really stellar data. But I think, um, and what you actually saw with the presentation that they presented uh, for for this drug was basically uh, a lot of scrutiny. Uh, there were a lot of questions that I think uh, the particular Chinese presenter couldn't couldn't adequately respond to, and it was a little almost awkward at at a time. And so there were a lot of question marks about can we trust uh, the data? And really, what we have seen, and I think what this data really presents, is a validation of what Nanjing Legend has been doing. So J&J has partnered with Nanjing Legend, um, actually manufactured here in the U.S. and started running trials. And so now, you know, the stellar data we saw last year, we're seeing it this year. And I mean, I think one of the other questions is why J&J's drug? Because they're not the only CAR-T BCMA treatment out there, but why are they posting such impressive stats? And uh, I think one of the hypotheses right now is that basically they've got two targets on their CAR-T uh, treatment, their CAR-T drug, rather than one. And that potentially makes it more potent, but also potentially more durable as well. Uh, but again, you know, they're not the only ones in the space because we had some other companies present data, of course, not nearly 100% overall response rate, but we had some other companies present some really impressive data too. Yeah. And you have to remember that Johnson Johnson's trial only was in 29 patients. I mean, it's not like five patients, right? But 29 isn't necessarily, um, I'd say, enough patients to be able to say, yeah, you're going to be able to maintain 100% overall response rate when you go up to including you know, trials with hundreds of patients. Now, Bristol-Myers, thanks to its acquisition of Celgene, and Bluebird also presented data for their BCMA targeting CAR-T, BB2121, which they call, I think it's Idacel. And their trial enrolled patients that had undergone already three, a median of three prior treatments. And in the high dose, there was an 81.5% uh, response rate, and the complete response rate was 35%. So, you know, eight out of every 10 uh, responding, and this is after you've already had a median of at least three prior treatments, that's pretty darn good. And actually, that's good enough for um, Bristol-Myers and Bluebird to say that they're going to plan to file for FDA approval of BB2121 in the first half of next year, potentially bringing this late-line multiple myeloma therapy onto the market as, uh, as early as either the end, depending on the timeline, uh, the end of 2020 or early 2021. 
Yes, and uh, J&J, they have a phase two study. They're planning to read out by the end of 2020. Um, but I think even coming out of Ash, and I, I believe this came out, was it yesterday or earlier this week, GlaxoSmithKline, that's right, GSK, um, could potentially be the first to approval in this exact same space. Todd, tell us about GSK. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. came out of nowhere uh, uh News, GlaxoSmithKline is working on an antibody drug conjugate called, well, I'm just going to call it Bella. <laughs> Shannon, Close enough. You know, yeah, these names are crazy long. So I'm just going to call it Bella. And they were evaluating Bella in, in patients who had undergone a median of seven prior lines of treatment. So even further in the treatment paradigm than, um, than uh, either J&J or Bristol-Myers was evaluating. What they found is that 31% of these very, very late-line patients responded, including 19% who had a very good or uh, response or even better than that. And that has prompted them to already file an FDA, an application with the FDA for approval. I mean, it's like, when did that happen? So, I mean, that, that, the, that filing means that they could very well um, kind of leapfrog into the late line therapy, winning approval ahead of both BB2121, and then, of course, later on down the road, uh, J&J Strud. Yeah, but of course, as we know, you know, getting to the approval finish line first is just one key piece. At the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, is this safe and is it effective? And if you look across the board, of course, these aren't head-to-head studies, so you really can't compare. But if you look across the board, um, and even though it's still very, very, very early for J&J, and we do have to see more patients um, exposed to the treatment, it really does make you wonder if J&J and Nanjing could be the long-term winners here. But so much to watch in the space. I mean, these these are just three companies, but there are a lot more um, that I suspect will join the race as well. But of course, lots to watch, especially heading into 2020. But I want yeah, to go... Before we jump on that, Shannon, before we jump on that, because I want to piggyback on something you said there is incredibly important for investors to be paying attention to. When it comes to safety, that could be what differentiates all of these drugs. So investors are going to want to pay attention as they dig through the, the information that comes out of these companies as going forward, is take a look at the, the rates of cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, which is a life-threatening um, thing that can occur in, in some of these patients who are given these CAR-Ts. I think that if you can develop a high response rate CAR-T with a low uh, incidence rate of cytokine release syndrome, then maybe that, that'll be your winner. Yes, such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up, Todd. A lot to watch on the safety profile. CAR-T, of course, has been plagued with the cytokine release syndrome issues. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, But I do want to go back to Bluebird Bio because it wasn't just uh, Bluebird and CAR-T. They also brought some new data about lentiglobin. What did we hear from them? All right. So Bluebird Bio is evaluating lentiglobin in two indications that are, are well, one of them already has crossed the finish line in the U, and that's beta thalassemia. And then the other one is sickle cell disease. And at the conference, they had new data to share with everybody in both of those indications. Specifically, uh, they shared data from um, the North Star uh, trial HGB204, showing that 8 of 10 treated patients without a certain subtype that's harder to treat uh, achieve transfusion independence for up to 51 months. Okay, 51 months, so over four years of durable ability to address beta thalassemia. They also shared results from the North Star 3 trial, HGB212, which was evaluating it in the harder to treat 
mutation form of this disease. And they found that nine out of 11 patients with at least six months of follow-up had not had a transfusion for at least the three months previous. So what's interesting and important for investors to take away from this is that you have a potentially one-and-done gene therapy uh, for beta-thalassemia that could be available for not only use in you know the easier-to-treat subtype, but also in the more difficult-to-treat subtype. As I mentioned, already approved in the EU and um, uh, filing for approval in the FDA, I think is a rolling submission is going to be started before the end of this year, I believe. Yep, that sounds about right. So yeah, lenteglobin right now already approved in Europe as Integlo. Um, and so, of course, all eyes right now on this potential expansion of their market. I mean, this this data from Bluebird, very impressive. And uh, I, I'm pleased to say, too, Bluebird, this wasn't the only update um, because they also have a partnership for a company we're going to talk about right after the break. But first, a quick word from our friends over at Quip. The holiday season is here, and this year, your gift can start next year's good habit with Quip. Quip is something that's sure to put a smile on everyone's mouth because it's dental care they'll actually want to use every single day. That's right. Quip is the perfect, thoughtful, and practical gift with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and toothpaste, all intentionally designed to make good habits simple. The Quip electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. And the Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings, so you always use the right amount every time. Personally, I love Quip's sleek and simple design, and coupled with that 30-second built-in timer, for me, it makes it an easy choice worth trying out, and one I think you should try out, and really a holiday gift you know everyone will need and actually use. To get started, just go to getquip.com slash fool to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash fool. Again, that's getquip.com slash fool. All right, so we're back. So if Johnson & Johnson made headlines for stellar data out of ASH, there's another company that is making headlines, and it's really because the stock has skyrocketed since Ash, and really even before Ash, going back to October. Todd, what can you tell us about this company called 47? 47. Symbol there is FTSV, and boy, do I wish I owned it. Yes. Unfortunately, I missed this one. Yeah, it's uh, recently trading around $33 per share, and that's up from $6 in October. And if you look at what happened after they reported data on their cancer drug at ASH, shares have grown, risen by, I think, about 84%. It's just an amazing run-up uh, for this relatively unknown player at 47, and it's all tied to a monoclonal antibody that targets checkpoint CD47 called macrolimab. And we'll call it MAG for short here. And I think what's really interesting with 47 and even other companies in this space, um, Trillium is another one, the CD47 actually gained a lot of prominence several years ago as kind of the don't eat me signal. Um, and it was believed, like many potential targets in oncology, that this could be kind of the holy grail of getting, especially to any sort of solid tumor opportunities. Um, but there's been a lot of starts and stops 47, though, um, I think it's not even just with MAG, but it's also, too, with their, their preconditioning regimen that I think has really made 
just headlines across the board. I think you talked about how much the stock is up since Ash. If you actually go back to their low in October, Todd, I think it. I think the stock is up almost like four hundred and sixty-eight percent just this year, which is pretty remarkable. But yes, it all comes down to Mag. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this this. You can't go wrong with these kind of results, right? So they were evaluating it in myelodysplastic syndromes, MDS, and treatment-naive acute myeloid leukemia. In MDS, there was a 92% overall response rate, including a 50% complete response rate, and there was a 100% uh, disease control rate, which meant, you know, if you include the patients who also had stable disease. That's a, uh, a, a really impressive finding in a market that's worth about $1 billion per year and where no new therapies have been approved in 13 years. And the data in AML, not as good, but still very good. 64% overall response rate with a 41% uh, complete response rate. Yeah, so very impressive. And um, I think when you combine MAG with uh, another opportunity that's FS1-174, investors have been really, really interested in this space. So investors and physicians um, are looking basically at the conditioning aspect that's required for things like bone marrow treatments, treating autoimmune diseases, and even many of the gene therapies that are starting to really take off. Um, the hope is, with a combination such as 47 is presenting, that you can actually eradicate the bad cells. So these are the disease-causing stem cells in the bone marrow, while also still preserving the transplanted cells. Right now, when you're trying to precondition patients for these you know, gene therapies, bone marrow treatments, you're basically giving them chemo, which pretty much obliterates everything. And the side effects, as you can imagine, are, are, are pretty pretty toxic and pretty hard to tolerate. Um, and so one of the things I think coming out of ASH, and um, I believe it was a quote that I read um, from, I think it was a CEO or a physician who said, basically, in order for us to see the uptake in things like gene therapy, even gene editing to some degree, you have to optimize the conditioning treatment. And that's ultimately what 47 is attempting to do, combining MAG with FSI 174. Um, this gives the company some optionality aside from MAG itself um, and also, too, allows it to ride this wave as we move forward into more and more gene therapies and gene editing options, too. Yeah, and I think for investor perspective, look for more data uh, in 2020. They're going to start a regina- registrational uh, trial next year in at least one of those indications. There should also be some data available with a combination trial with rituxan in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and that's a $1 to $2 billion market in the late line setting as well. So there's there's more news that should be coming in 2020 that could, that could cause the stock to pop or drop. Exactly. And this is the company that is, uh, they have a research collaboration with Bluebird Bio as well. So we'll get more details on that uh, moving forward. But let's keep going because the updates keep on coming, Todd. Uh, Next up on the list is none other than Unicure. And that is ticker symbol Q-U-R-E. We've talked about gene therapy a little bit, um, but this company is hoping to get to approval, not in hemophilia A, which we've talked about on the show before, but in hemophilia B. What can you tell us about their efforts? So far, so good. I mean, gene therapy could revolutionize treatment in hemophilia B, and that's a multi-billion dollar 
uh, indication because patients with hemophilia have to uh, take prophylactic treatments that can range in cost $500,000 to $750,000 per year. So the idea behind being able to provide um, a, a one-and-done style type treatment, uh, treatment for that disease could be incredibly disruptive. At the one-year mark, uh, all three patients that were uh, dosed with its gene therapy uh, sustained factor uh, nine activity uh, of 41% of normal. And that's important to remember that it doesn't sound like a lot when you say 41% of normal, but clinically speaking, if you're above 12% or so, uh, high, high single digits, low double digits, you're probably not going to be exposed to the risk of uncontrolled bleeding events. So that is very, very good news. Um, they also showed some durability data um, from a, a trial from a, a first generation version of this gene therapy showing that, you know, even when you go out and stretch out a few, a few years, four years, um, you saw some pretty stable or, or solid um, production uh, of of the of the missing protein that they need to, to be able to clot their blood. So this is a very a very intriguing um, intriguing company with a, a drug for hemophilia B that could make it to the market as soon as maybe 2021 2022. That's right, and they do have some competition, uh, primarily from Pfizer in this space. They're developing their own hemophilia B therapy. Um, if you recall, this is what they license actually back from Spark Therapeutics. And I think they've got a phase three study that started in July. They'll be reading out in 2021 as well. So a lot to watch in the space. Unicure, one I've had my eye on for a few years now. Um, so really interesting to see them moving into the heme B space. Hemophilia A, of course, um, which is more common. You do see Biomarin Pharmaceuticals holding the lead there. And that, of course, is also with Pfizer, Sangamo, and uh, Spark. But a lot to watch in this space. And Todd, of course, it would not be right to close out a show on a medical conference without giving some M&A news. And we definitely got some M&A news. This time, Merck, that's ticker symbol MRK, announced it would be acquiring a company known as Arkel, a precision medicine company, um, for $2.7 billion, basically $20 for every Arkel share. Shares are actually trading at $9.66 last Friday. So now, I mean, you're looking at almost 100% premium. Todd, what can you tell us about this deal? What's interesting about this uh, deal is that we've talked about on the show previously about Imbravica, which is a BTK inhibitor, incredibly successful, multi-billion dollar drug already with um, potential to be a double-digit billion dollar per year sales drug uh, used in things like chronic lymphocytic leukemia. The problem is that patients are developing BTK resistance to those first-gen BTK inhibitors, including Imbravica. So what Arkel has is it's developed a second-generation one that appears to be effective in people who are resistant to these traditional BTKs. And if that's the case, wow, they could have a blockbuster drug on their hands. Still have to do, of course, more, more trials, more testing and everything. But um, yeah, a really, really interesting uh, development. I think Merck is positioning themselves well to get involved in BTK. Yeah. I mean, if you think about Merck, um, of course, Merck's bread and butter and really their biggest growth driver has been Keytruda. Um, looking back, I mean, Keytruda was, had sales of $55 million in 2014. That jumped up to $7.2 billion in 2018. 
that now makes Keytruda about 17% of sales for Merck. Um, and so there's been a lot of questions about, you know, where where can Merck start to diversify, not be so reliant on Keytruda? This drug, ARQ-531 Precision Medicine uh, Opportunity, may be just that. You mentioned um, Imbruvica. I mean, this is a company, I believe it brought in about $3.6 billion for AbbVie last year. And really, if, even if you pan out and look at this space, these kinase inhibitors have been at the center of a number of different acquisitions. Of course, AbbVie acquired Pharmacyclics for $21 billion back in 2015. And then, of course, um, Eli Lilly and their acquisition of Loxo Oncology about a year ago for $8 billion. So this is a really hot space, even hotter, I think, with the BTKs. Um, but it's really interesting if you look at Arkle. This is a company that's actually been around for 20 years. It's probably had more than a dozen different partnerships with a lot of big pharma companies. Um, and so it's kind of nice to finally see them get bought out and bought out for an opportunity um, that I think could be a multi-billion dollar opportunity and hopefully give some relief to these patients that don't respond any longer to drugs like Imbruvica. Right. And that was a phase one trial. So there's still more more trials that need to be conducted and rolling more people. There are only nine people in the trial, but eight of the nine uh, did have a partial response to their ARQ-531. And seven of eight of those responders harbored the BTK mutation. The other thing that investors are going to want to pay attention to when future data is released is whether or not there are any cases of atrial fibrillation. Now, atrial fibrillation has been associated with some patients taking Imbravica. In this trial, there were no cases of atrial uh, fibrillation uh, observed. So maybe there's a safety advantage they can parlay at some point, too, for earlier lines, not just used in in the mutant or the resistant uh, population. Yeah, so a lot to watch there, and they're expecting this deal to close in the first quarter of 2020. Um, as for us, Todd, you and I have covered uh, pretty much everything coming out of ASH that is at least notable. There's certainly, uh, this is not an exhaustive list because there was so much that came out of ASH. But we do want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in, um, particularly as we attempt to cover so much in so little time. Um, and really on behalf of the entire industry focus team, we just want to thank you for being very loyal listeners every single week. I will encourage you to tune in to a very special holiday edition of Industry Focus airing next week. We've got all the Industry Focus hosts together in the studio putting a nice bow on the end of the year. We're also going to be giving some predictions for 2020. So you want to make sure that you do not miss those episodes. We're also going to be sharing some really big announcements, some changes coming to Industry Focus in the next year as well. Um, but as for Todd and I, that'll do it for Industry Focus Healthcare this week. As you know, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and full on. Full on.